Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Hey, welcome to the Truth Lies Shenanigans podcast, social commentary, hot topics, and amazing guests with a ton of fun and shenanigans along the way. My name is Neil Nix. This week, we've got author, attorney, and entrepreneur Marcus Eason sitting in with us for the entire show. You remember Marcus from season one, episode 41, where he shared his traumatic experience with COVID, needing to have his fingers amputated. He's back and letting us know how he's doing. And he's going to tell us all about his memoir, I Ain't Done Living Yet. Then we've got some topics for you. I want to talk about the wife of Supreme Court Judge Clarence Thomas trying to help overturn the 2020 election. Lizzie is sharing a story about an infant kidnap victim who's looking for a shorter sentence for a kidnapper. And guest hosting this week, Micah. He wants to talk about an opera telling the story of the lynching of Emmett Till coming under fire because of its white writer. All right, before we get into the show, let me introduce you to my co-host for the next hour. First up, the professor, journalist, editor, sports intern, mentor at ESPN out of Washington, D.C., Miss Liz E. What's up? What's up, everyone? Happy Sunday, fun day. We have two more games left. Well, actually, one and a half left before we have all four participants in next weekend's final four. Let's go, Duke. That's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go, Duke. Let's <laughs> I'm surprised they Duke. made it to the Elite Eight. <laughs> Clearly, you don't watch men's basketball. But anyway, let's go, Duke. Um, we They will be in the final four next weekend in Nolens, where one of my interns will be covering that particular tournament, while I have two others will be in Minneapolis covering the women's final four. Nice. It's going to be a busy week. It's going to Sounds be a like busy it. week, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Sounds like it. All right. And sitting in for Rob B this week, a familiar face around here, the host of everyone's favorite TLS segment, Movie Time with Micah, and also the host of the Black on Black Cinema and Nerd Apocalypse podcast, Mr. Micah Payne. Oh, the voice! Oh, the voice! <laughs> <laughs> every time, uh, every time you introduce somebody, I hear that right on, man. Right on, man. It, just, it just, it just tickles me, man. It just tickles me. I'm happy to be here, um, uh, subbing in for Rob uh, this week. Um, I don't know if I have any any witty banter other than I have a three year old and it is kicking my ass. So we <laughs> always uh, would do that. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait to can't wait in three more years to do it again. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I have another baby coming. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. This is news. <laughs> Dropping bombs today. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, we don't we haven't shared it with a lot of people, but you know, you all are family. So I figured uh I figured I would I would I would love to let you in on my joke. Well, congratulations, yeah. Micah. Thank you very much. I, I, I wasn't sure if I caught what you were saying. I was like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Just dropping it on there like that. Okay, I got you. I see how you're doing things today. Dropping like it's hot, Mike. <laughs> All right. And finally, our special guest host. He was one of the earliest survivors of COVID 19 and the author of the book, I Ain't Done Living Yet. 
Again, sitting in for the whole show today, covering for Gianni Storm, let's welcome attorney and entrepreneur Marcus Eason. Thank you for having me on here today. Sitting here, I hope you I know see the camera catching my eye. Glimpses of the school. I'm hurt. I wanted to do the show today. So I'm watching them. They're starting to unravel a little bit in the second half. And the heart that's carried them through the tournament is starting to, you know, do what, like, what, like Liz said earlier, what 10 seeds do, starting to show their true colors. So, yeah, I'm uh, not sure how much longer they're going to survive, but hopefully they'll, you know, we'll pull out a miracle and, you know, you won't have to see me get too unraveled while I'm on the show. <laughs> in the middle of the show. <laughs> so if we hear you screaming out hard, then we know what that's about. Right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Marcus. Absolutely. Well, I- I have a clip of your last visit to our show where you shared your terrifying story dealing with COVID. So let me play that real quick. Uh, I do remember getting wheeled to an uh, actual uh, hospital room and watching TV for a while. And then after that, I don't remember anything for the next, I guess I was out for 15, 16 days under sedation. While I was under sedation, I, I had a series of, of, of issues. Uh, I, had, uh, I had to have two dialysis sessions because uh, of my kidney. Apparently, I had a kidney issue. Um, I had two blood transfusions. Uh, also had some internal bleeding, and I developed clots in both my left leg and, and my right hand. So uh, the tips of my right index finger and my thumb were pitch black when I woke up, and the tip of my pinky pitch black when I woke up. I said, look, I'm, I, I, can, I, can, I, felt, I felt the finger trying to push the tip up. And, it, and I was in extraordinary pain. Mm. And I told him, I said, if my quality of life would be better, just go ahead and take them off. I was in the hospital for 29 days total. And then they transported me to a rehab center where I was uh, there for about, I was supposed to be there for 15 days. They let me out in 11. The only re- way, reason I know about it is, you know, from my mother and my daughter and uh, other folks that, that, that spoke, you know, that, that spoke to me post, post that. Um, I, there were there were a lot of text messages, uh, mainly from from my daughter that I read that uh, that broke my heart. She was she was she was a trooper. Uh, she she called the hospital uh, every day. She uh, you know they, she talked to the nurses. From what I understand, uh, her her uh, she got into you know they they had some issues with one of the nurses or whatever. Uh, but she was the first voice that I heard when I woke up. Wow. That was a harrowing story when we were listening to it. I remember it clearly. I mean, we've talked about you several times on the show since. How are you feeling now? Uh, I'm actually feeling pretty good. Um, I'm fully recovered for the most part. Uh, I'm listening to myself speak because I think that's actually improved within the last several months. For a while, you know, there were some hesitations. And I still hear them a little bit, you know, over in in recent kind of dialogue, whereas, you know, there may be I sound like I'm struggling to breathe, um, mm. but I don't really hear them now. So I, I know that area has improved at least over the last six months. Um, you know, personally, everything is, is good. You know, like I said, I, you know, guys know I have a law firm that I run out of here in Chicago. I've had, you know, since then, I've added staff. You know, am I able to take time off when I need to take time off? Uh, you know, me and my daughter have been able to, you know, continue our great relationship and we spend I spend as much time with her as possible even though I'm in Chicago she's in Atlanta you know we we try to meet up every if I don't go down there you know she comes here during the summer because she hates the cold 
Uh, <laughs> but, you know, she'll come there a couple times. Uh, we're going to New York this week because we got, you know, some things. She's a, a singer and we've got some things going on in New York. Uh, not this week, uh, in April. So, you know, we, we travel, uh, quite a bit together. So, um, but everything is good overall, overall. So. Lizzie and Micah, feel free to jump in here, but I know you, uh, released a book of a memoir of your experiences, but can you tell us about yes. that? How's it doing? Well, the book is going, doing good. As far as I'm concerned, um, we, uh, I wrote the book. It's called, I ain't done living yet. I, when I woke up from COVID, I can't explain it. But, you know, it was just something on me. I got to tell my story. Uh, I was in, as you guys know, I was in the hospital for 29 days on a ventilator for 15 days, spent another 14 additional days in the hospital, uh, and then got released to a, a rehabilitation center, a rehab center, because I couldn't walk. I couldn't do basic functions like brush my teeth, tie my shoe, things of that nature. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to tell my story. And uh, at the time, I wasn't able to see guests or anything in the hospital room. Uh, but my mother was able to deliver a notebook uh, to my rehab center so that I could start writing notes, things that I didn't want to forget uh, when it came time to actually writing the book. And then I was able to get my paralegal and office manager, Terry. Uh, she actually brought my laptop to the rehab center. So uh, we were laughing with the, the nurses. They said, you are the only patient in here that's actually working. And, you know, I reminded them. I didn't tell them at the time I was writing the book. But I told them that, you know, I was a, a, a solo practitioner. You know, we had to, you know, I had to work. You know, I, I kill what I eat in order to make a living. And, you know, I've got people that rely on me, you know, staff members, my family members and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Um, so, but the book is mainly about, I'm sorry, I know I got a little off topic. Oh, that's the fine. book is really about, I remember uh, you telling that story. Yeah, it's really uh, about my struggles with COVID, but also took it as an opportunity to chronicle a lot of important things that I over, able, uh, I overcame throughout my life early on in terms of things that happened at the undergraduate level at, at the University of Illinois, uh, things that happened, you know, as far as me becoming an attorney, going to law school, uh, the time I spent in Atlanta homeless that a lot of people didn't know about. Oh, I didn't uh, know about you know, that. Yeah, I, I spent uh, several days. Uh, I was working for GE Electric at the time, and I spent time in my truck my good old uh, 2003 Ford Explorer that uh, we, I used to sleep in the parking lot of the hotel that was right next door to my office in Alpharetta. I would go down in the morning. I would go to L.A. Fitness, work out, shower, and come back to work, you know, fully dressed like, it, you know, nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was probably in the 2012 time frame. So, you know, it was, it was just it was an opportunity to tell all those stories in the one. You know, of course, it, the, the story about me. A becoming an attorney, it took me, I graduated from law school in 2010. Um, it took me seven times to pass the bar before I finally passed it in, in 2017. You know, the, I'm sure you can find a clip of me on Facebook, crying on Facebook, saying I'm finally passed, finally passed, you know, so that thing. Like, so um, I finally got licensed in 2017. So here we are five years now. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I run a firm out of here that practices primarily in real estate probate and estate planning and we're doing extremely well and looking to expand uh to other areas in other cities uh after five years is uh my five-year period that i'm uh, anniversary that i'll reach uh, later in june this year nice i uh was not able to hear your previous uh appearance on the show how did you uh end up getting covid did you do you do you know can you like pinpoint it or uh, the only thing that makes sense is that uh, I had a birthday party at a venue 
uh, about a week before I started showing symptoms. Um, it was a performance here in Chicago that I actually had my daughter come down and perform. Because we've always done it all on our birthdays, um, you know. And I was fine a week, leading, you know, afterwards. And then somewhere around, like I said, about a week later, so when I started, I woke up with symptoms where you know I couldn't. I think I had diarrhea and um, dehydration. So when the doctors first, my doctor, when I first talked to him, he he never thought. He said to this day, he never thought I had COVID because that's weren't system. Those weren't the symptoms that they uh, stated that were clear signs of COVID at the time. Uh, so he told me to get some Imodium D for the diarrhea and get some Gatorade or Pedialyte for the di- uh, for the. Uh, Oh God, I just I just forgot it. Um for the dehydration. 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 Thank you. Good man. Um so <laughs> you know, had symptoms for a couple of days for like for two or three days. And then finally on day three, uh my brother came by to do a, a wellness check. At that time I lived in the uh three store uh, on the third floor in my building. I live on the first floor now ever since COVID. But uh at the time he tried to ring my doorbell and get into the building. Uh, he called me because I, I was in the bedroom sleep and he said, come go open the door. And I walked, tried to walk to the door and I collapsed in front of the door. And I said, bring somebody else. And I had my phone with me and I could text him, ring, you know, ring somebody else bell because I can't get back up to reach the door. So he rang my neighbor's door across the hall. Uh, she let him in and she came walked across the hall. I, you know, we had an electronic lock. So I opened the front door and she saw me sitting there on the floor. And by the time he made it up the stairs, you know, they helped me get to the couch and he uh, immediately called 911. Uh, and that's when, they, you know, I live three blocks away from University of Chicago Hospital here in Hyde Park, uh, a neighborhood in Chicago. So uh, within about, you know, half hour, I was at the hospital. Uh, and at some point, I guess they took they tested me for COVID and told me that I tested positive, uh, told me that, you know, we're going to have to, you know, at that time, the only way to treat COVID patients. Was apparently to put them on a ventilator. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of things we know now. They don't necessarily have to put them on a ventilator. Yeah. More yeah. treatments of them. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder, you know, if 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 knowing what I know now, if a lot of the things that happened to me had to happen, you know, because I was on a ventilator. You know, I like as I remember you guys remember, I had internal bleeding, I had pneumonia, I had to have two emergency di- dialysis yep. sessions, yep. kidney issues. Um, you know, I had blood clots in my leg and in my fingers, uh, which is, you know, caused my fingers to have to be amputated, the tips of them to have to be amputated. Um, it's a lot of things that I know now that, you know, we didn't know then, you know, so I guess in a sense, I, you know, I don't look back on it and say, you know, I look at it as a bad experience. It is what it is. It's my story now. Yep. And for whatever reason, God kept me here to tell this story, to do the things that he saw fit for me to do, to continue to do. I mean, I've, I've had a great, you know, great two years since the last time I was on the show. You know, yeah. um, I've, I've traveled, you know, quite a bit. I've gone to all kind of sporting events. I'm a big Bears fan. You know, I got a chance to go to L- see them in L.A., sit in the front row at, at, at SoFi Stadium. I got to go get a, a rent a suite, uh, rent a box in Vegas for the Raiders game. And, you know, I was able to treat my family on Thanksgiving Day to the Bears-Lions games in Detroit. So, wow. you know, I went to the uh, – Field of Dreams game in uh, Iowa, where they filmed wow. the actual Field of Dreams movie mm-hmm. uh, when the Bear, when the White Sox and the Yankees played. 
and witnessed a walk-off home run by the White Sox in the, in the, in the bottom of the ninth inning. I mean, it was, it was so just amazing. So you're enjoying life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so it changed your outlook. So, so, so nearly dying changed your outlook, yeah. obviously. I, th- I think so. I ju- it's just a matter of, you know, I, I'm going to enjoy life because none of us knows, you know, the, the end of our days here. We don't know exactly That's when right. it'll be. Only thing that we can control is the quality of life that we have on here. And, you know, for all the things, you know, obviously I, I, I make saving, I save money, you know, more so for the future and for my kid and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't take none of this with you. You know, there's nothing, you know, I can't sit there, wrap, wrap my arms around cash and take it in the casket with me. And, you know, it's going to go up to heaven with me, you know, so might as well, you know, you enjoy the time I'm here. As I see uh, Kansas has stretched out their lead on my Canes. <laughs> I just looked at the score. I just looked at the score. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, I want to, you know, make t- time to enjoy things here. I've gotten a chance to travel with my dad. We've gone through a few, several games over the past year. And, and you know, like I told you, my daughter and I, you know, she did a little mini tour last June through July. We call it the Chitlin Tour. Don't ask why. Some of the promoters for her, and we did it just because she was up and up and coming. So nice. Uh, but we've had, you know, I've had a great time, and and you know, that's I'm just focused on, you know, I'm 45. I just turned 45, maybe about two weeks ago on oh, March 10th. Youngin. Oh yeah. So I'm just trying to enjoy life, you know, because none of it, it's not promised to us. You it's know, not past tomorrow. It's and not. almost my story almost got cut short at 43. Yeah. And you know, blessing. To be here, I think even some of my, I think I talked a little bit about strained relationship between me and my stepfather in my book. And you, did. you know, uh, well, I think you talked about it briefly in the show, yeah, last show. Right? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of that has changed. You know, I just realized. You know, I got a lot. There's a lot that I benefit from. You know, him being in my life. You know, I'm That's still awesome. praying on. You know, my other daughter that uh, I don't have the relationship that you know I have with with Amber, the one I always always talk about, but. You know, someday, you know, I'm hoping to have that picture to post on my social media where all of us are together. Because oh, I have, uh, you know, another daughter here in Chicago and uh, a, do- a grandbaby that I've never met before. Mm. So mm. Uh, so all that's important to me. And, and I'm prayerful that the time will heal that situation as well. But in the meantime, I'm just going to live the life and, and work with what I got, you know, enjoy it. More than anything, we're glad that you're here, brother. We're we're glad that's that true. you're oh, yeah. here. Yeah, man. Good to, yeah. good to see you. Good yeah. to see you. Yeah, me too. It's good to hear your perseverance. I got a promo of the Beyond the Scars podcast. It sounds like it'd be perfect for you actually to be on there and kind of talk about where you've come from. Yeah. Actually, let me real quick do that. Check out the Beyond the Scars podcast with Gianni and Olivia. Real people, real stories of perseverance. Subscribe today anywhere you get your podcast or find them at www. Beyond the Scars that show. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get started on our topics. Truth, lies, shenanigans. The first one is me. I'm up first today. This past Thursday, news broke that Virginia Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Judge Clarence Thomas, was relentlessly texting Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows from November 2020 up until the Capitol insurrection, and she was urging Meadows and others to pursue Trump's baseless election fraud charges. And at one point, she appeared to reference her husband. Now, it's one thing to have a zealous wife that supports ridiculousness, but where it gets shady is Justice Thomas was the one dissenting Supreme Court vote to block investigators from finding out 
about his wife's role in the insurrection. Because on January 19th of this year, by a vote of eight to one, Clarence Thomas, without providing reason, which is somewhat unusual, voted against allowing congressional investigators from gaining access to messages that former President Donald Trump claimed were still covered by executive privilege, messages which included Virginia Thomas's texts. So, my co-host, my question to you, does this implicate Clarence Thomas as part of the conspiracy, and um, what should be done about this? Should he be impeached? Let's start with Liz. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> is um this is your boy this is once again once again full of lies lies and shenanigans that neo this is proof of sedition this is proof of treason this is proof of a conspiracy and an effort to overthrow um the election and the government and i think yes i think clarence thomas should be impeached i think his wife should be investigated to the fullest extent, because think about this, okay, we have the former president's chief of staff, right, Mark Meadows, and I think Neo just broke this, broke it down, but I'm just going to break it down like we're kindergartners, because a lot of people don't understand the seriousness of this, and what would have happened if this had been Democrats, that's a whole other conversation, right, but this was the chief of staff of the former president of the United States having private phone calls with the wife of a Supreme Court justice, and she's encouraging him in his effort to overthrow the election. In some of those text messages to Mark Meadows, she references her her best friend, her best friend, right? She doesn't say his name. She's smart enough not to say his name, but she references him as, or the person that she talked to um, as her best friend. And we know that they have referenced each other as that before publicly. We don't know if this is all of the information that if Mark Meadows submitted all of the information, there could be other text messages out there that he chose not to submit. Um, This is a a complete violation of the Constitution, of what I consider to be patriotism and our democracy. So, yes, off with all of their heads, off with all of their heads. What do you think, Micah? Um, I am not a lawyer, but I am married to one. So by the process of transference, I know everything about law. Um, <laughs> look, it, um, it, like, like all savvy criminals, the fact that Virginia Thomas did not mention Clarence mm-hmm. Thomas by name, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if they have any legal recourse to do anything. I think Clarence Thomas is well overdue for retirement. I'm not going to wish death on him like some of my uh, some of my friends do. But uh, some of my friends but, have been wishing death all week. <laughs> <laughs> but this doesn't look good, man. It really, really doesn't. And if Clarence Thomas, if he wants to save face, if he wants to preserve any type of legacy that he has, he needs to at least step down and retire and just say, hey. This part of my life is over because people aren't going to let this go, nor should they. And it it just doesn't mm, doesn't look good, Clarence. Yeah. Doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, So, Marcus, you are an attorney. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I really, really wanted to get your perspective on this. I'm not a criminal attorney. Uh, You know, I'm a civil attorney. But, you know, I think to answer the question whether or not he's, part of the conspiracy. 
uh, it's, 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 I would say it's probably likely. Um, and then, you know, in the civil courts, it's not the, the standard of, of proof is not the, you know, uh, it's different from in criminal law. Uh, you know, it could be probably true or, or probably more true than not is more so the standard. Um, but I think this, this raises a bigger question, uh, or really puts a microscope on where we are as a country because we elected Donald Trump as president in the first place. Hmm. So why did he get elected? Is it that was Hillary that bad or are, are people really that upset and disappointed with Hillary or, or hopefully this doesn't extend. They were just that, you know, angry or racist because we had just come off having a black president. In oh, that's exactly what happened. And they, you know, I mean, that, and that's that's a real possibility, you know, and for the you know, we we are just learning so many things on a daily basis, seems like now. With that are coming out about what happened in, on January 6th. I'm sure there are a lot of players that, you know, we see in the news on a daily basis on the Republican side that, you know, were more involved in this situation than what, you know, has been presented. And I'm sure we're going to learn about some more players that's going to come out. But do I think specifically that Clarence John, uh, uh, Thomas was, uh, was a behind on this? I'll say this. Dan Rather asked two questions. When did he know and what did he know or something right. along those lines? Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, I'm sure he knew about it and I'm sure his reasons for not giving an opinion uh, as far as him de- uh, re- uh, rejecting a dissenting opinion has to do with why he didn't want all he wanted to do was make sure, as they said, the article suggested, protect his wife. Yeah, he had to been trying to protect his but, wife. Yeah. But also look at how brazen she was, because it's not just these text messages that happen immediately after the election in November. She was there on January 6th. Mm-hmm. Yes. She was at the insurrection. Like she didn't take over the Capitol mm-hmm. like those other yahoos and terrorists. But she was, she there was at the event on, where he spoke. Where she Trump was spoke. at the event supporting this nonsense. Mm-hmm. And let me just go back to the, the, the Clintons and Barack Obama a bit, because I said this as soon as Hillary um, put her name in the hat to run for president. I said people mm-hmm. always estimate, underestimate how much the Republicans or even some Democrats hate the Clinton. I never thought she was going to win. I ne- mm-hmm. Because she's a Clinton. She ran a and bad campaign. Both. Let's be real. She went a horrible campaign. I don't care what kind of... And so you're going to vote for Donald Trump as the alternative based off of... Well, I'm not. Campaign? I didn't. But I'm just saying she but ran a terrible before, campaign. She, but even before she started her campaign, the foundation for that hate was there. They never got mm-hmm. over it from when Clinton yep. was president. True. And so I never. She didn't counteract it properly. Yeah. I don't. I never thought she. Let me get this comment. Um, so yeah, Jenny was in D.C. on January sixth, showing her arms. So yeah, this <laughs> this goes to a large conspiracy, in my opinion. Yeah. And the fact that he will not recuse himself from mm-hmm. cases involving January sixth yeah. speaks volumes. Mike Winter points out that uh, he rarely writes coherent opinions, which is true, actually. Um, Jacqueline Robinson, Jenny Thomas is unhinged trash and her self-loathing husband is well aware of his wife's activities it's not enough for him to recuse him from such cases he needs to get gone now uh there's a reason why there's a separation between three branches of government such access to the white house is unheard of very true mike winter points out grim reaper stopped by his hospital room just to check on his bama ass yeah notice how he conveniently got sick he conveniently got oh. sick. Was in the hospital. Confirmation hearing. 
Um, so it, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot there. Do I think they are going to impeach him or anything coming in the form of punishment over this? No. And they're so good at protecting each other. So good at it. Uh, I mean, Trump that's was Trump do. was. That, that's why they struggle with Trump because Trump was hard to protect because he really didn't care. <laughs> right. He just figured he could do anything. So, but man, they they just they very very good. At, at protecting. Jacqueline Robinson says her campaign was flawed, but she won the popular vote. It's our antiquated electoral system, college system that caused her loss. I still, I'm going to just say, I'm gonna just, I know this is tangential, but I still disagree with that because she should have done some things to make sure that she was able to get some of those electoral votes that she lost, like Wisconsin and a few others. She did run a bad campaign. She did it's run a bad, bad campaign. campaign. But she, but I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let the left off the hook either, because there are, there, there are sometimes folks on the left can be incredibly petulant. Yes, true. Uh, when, true. when, when Bernie, Bernie Sanders, I, I know, I know people, I know people specifically. I've broken bread with. I know that when Bernie did not get the nomination, they were like, ah. oh, "I'm not voting." Yes, and that's oh. ridiculous. That was That's ridiculous. Look, Hillary wasn't Susan angry Sarandon. with Hillary. Hillary wasn't my Susan Sarandon, <laughs> we talking about you, girl. Like Hillary wasn't my choice, right? But you know what? Either. Sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta hold your nose and check the box for the good of the country. And right. um, so yeah, it was a number of it was a number of facts that, that where we are. So that again, that again falls into what I my question, what does it say about the country where the alternative, the best alternative for presidency with Donald Trump and you voted for him. And I don't even think to, to my knowledge that Don, Donald Trump expected to win. I think, I think it was, just, he you know, yeah, he, he was surprised more than anybody that he won. And now here I am president elect. I have all this power that, you know, to do all these, you know, ridiculous things while I'm in office and have you know, to impose my will over the next four years on this, on, on America. That's, that's absolutely insane. And and to the folks that voted for him, that says a lot about them as well, personally. Yeah. Or I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a just challenge. I'm sorry. I, I I know we were talking about Clarence Thomas, but I'm gonna just challenge that. I still think that uh, Hillary Clinton should have taken uh, Bernie Sanders, unless Bernie Sanders didn't want it or rejected it, should have taken him as his uh, as her uh, vice president candidate. But anyway, I think she made a lot of mistakes. But Jeanette Brown says, "What about the country not being ready for a woman?" Good point. All right. I mean, maybe uh, you know that. Yeah, I think the country is ready for a woman, but like like Liz said, it's it's that that woman in particular. People just really did. That was a tough one. Yeah. It was the Clintons yeah. in general. The Clintons were yeah, wrong. yeah. Clintons, Clintons, Clintons were wrong. So this is what's going to happen with Clarence Thomas because he did this, you know, when um, the confirmation hearings were going on regarding Anita Hill back in what was it, ninety one, ninety two. He's going to come out if if he is, you know, held to account for some of this. He's going to come out and he's going to cry and say, it's a public lynching. Oh, this God. is just that's another God, public lynching. Oh, my God. That, yeah. that's so, what he right, so what do you think about? So, uh, well, one more comment. So Latoya Blakely says, of course not. Every photo they took of him, I think she's talking about Trump, that day was of him looking shook. Like, what the hell do I do now that I actually won? So, <laughs> All right. So, are we calling this truth, truth lies, lies, or shenanigans? shenanigans. <laughs> it's, it's nonsense. Uh, 
this whole thing is this whole thing is full of lies, man. Like it's 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 full of lies, uh, which lead to uh, more shenanigans. Which leads to shenanigans and bullshit and lies. <laughs> what do you say, Mark? Truth, lies, and shenanigans. I, I think it's both lies and shenanigans. There's nothing. I mean, there's, the truth is in this story itself, but in a, and to the authors of the the article, but just lies and shenanigans in the actions of everybody that is involved. It's so, nonsense. I say impeach him, but happens when people are are no, they won't. towards politics. People do not pay attention to what's going on in their democracy and political system. This is what happened. All right, Lizzie, you're up next. Uh, You've got a kidnap victim feeling pretty generous with her kidnap. What's going on? So this story, we talked about this story, I think uh, maybe, what, a year or two ago, uh, when it came out that Gloria Williams um, was the actual kidnapper of baby Kamaya Mobley. So in 1998, Kamaya Mobley's mother, um, who was 14 at the time, gave birth to her in a hospital. Eight hours later, um, Gloria Williams, she dressed up as a nurse, went in, snatched the baby. The baby was never heard from for almost 20 years. She raised the baby as her own, changed the baby's name to Alexis. And it started to unravel shortly. Um, I would say after, you know, Kamaya became like a teenager, she questioned Gloria as to why she didn't have a social security card, why she didn't have an ID. So she told Gloria, Gloria told her early on before she was found out by authorities that she was, you know, in fact, the copper. So in 1990, um, or sorry, in 2018, she was sentenced to 18 years in prison. And it's been a tough road for, you know, Kamaya and her mom and her dad in terms of reconciling and getting to know one another. But while Gloria has been in jail, Kamaya's had a very difficult go of it. So she it came out this week, she's petitioning the court to be lenient and to let uh, the woman who raised her, her kidnapper, out free, out early. And so my question to the panel is, and this isn't about, you know, how Kamaya has reacted, right? Because again, a lot of the back and forth between her and her birth mother has not been pretty. But this is a question about the justice system. And if Gloria Williams, who took this baby, um, when she was only eight hours old, if she should be shown some type of leniency and should be released early. So real quick, I, I want to jump in here. So I get the child's perspective, especially since she felt like she was a good mother. You know, it's a horrible thing the woman did, but the child is basically being further victimized, not having access to her mother she grew up with. And apparently she had a loving to her mother, she could go visit her in jail. Uh, apparently a loving mother. I mean, she can't. She could visit her, but it's not the same. Now, but with that said, the woman must pay for her crime. I don't think her sentence should be reduced at all. Because um, if there's a happy ending to this story for a baby stealer, it'll signal to other potential kidnappers that the reward outweighs the risk. And it can't be a slap on the wrist for someone stealing someone's baby. Because as someone who wants children, I can't imagine my opportunity to raise my child being stolen from me like that. You know, I. I feel like she's got to pay. And 18 years, that sounds about right for me. I don't think it needs to be reduced at all. Micah? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in agreement. I, look, I, I understand that. I, I understand where, like, this has to be a, an incredible, like, mind F for the child, right? For the, for the 18, 20-year-old. Um, you can write all the letters you want, man. I, you know, 
that doesn't that doesn't no. You you kidnapped a child. You kidnapped a baby. Um, I don't know, man. With kids, I get very I get very uh, uh, I, I mm, you don't mess with people's kids, man. You really don't. And when 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 my son was born, the the hospital made it a a very very it, they made it clear. They made it a priority to let us know every single step from when that baby comes out to when uh to where the baby uh um will go while the mother recovers and they said you can walk with us every step of the way and that's what i did because because people do stuff like that mm-hmm. um no i think this woman does not need to uh get a reduced sentence um uh, you know you 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 if you are on good behavior or whatever like good you're supposed to that doesn't make sense to me. So, uh, yeah, no, no. You need, to, you need to stay in prison, finish out your sentence, and come back out into the world. I'm fine with that. But, what do you think? No. What do you think, Marcus? Uh, man, this is a, a tough one for me. Um, just understanding where the uh, Kamaya is coming from, because, you know, all she knows is this kidnapper we know as a kidnapper, as mom, you know, mm-hmm. and now she's being, you know, she's at a young age at 23. Now and I saw, I don't know if you guys looked at any of the news clip, video clippings, but she's got three moms now, her stepmother that's married to her dad and then mm-hmm. her actual biological mom. So that's got to be uh, very tough for that young lady. My heart goes out to her. Yeah. Um, I can relate to the parent side, especially the dad side, because, I don't know if I talked about this in my book, but one of the stories that I went through was when my youngest daughter, Vivian, uh, when she was born, uh, I got to see her for four weeks and her mother hid her from me. She had, was in a, involved in a relationship with a man uh, and then they got married and he didn't want me to have anything to do with them. So uh, they were hidden from me for a good period. I think it was about three years uh, while I was in college. Uh, I had to, you know, I, I never forgot about her. But, you know, I had to do things in college to get myself together. And about three years in, I started making phone calls back to the city of Chicago. I went to University of Illinois in Champaign, uh, Champaign, Urbana, two hours away from Chicago. And I started calling the clerk's office in Chicago, trying to figure out what I needed to do to get visitation rights of my daughter. I finally found a person that taught me what I needed to do. I filed a case pro se in Chicago, had to drive two hours at least once a month. Back for court, uh, it lasted about eight months. I didn't have an attorney, you know, uh, I didn't really have any help from my parents at the time. And the only reason why me and my daughter were able to reconnect was because the attorney for, uh, my daughter's mother passed away mm-hmm. and she was, uh, in the process of getting a divorce from the gentleman that she was with at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get, you know, what his, his, uh, statement was of how he had to wait 18 years before he could be reconnected with his daughter uh in a sense and whereas i have i've had times where i haven't been connected with my daughter that's of course as you guys know i don't i have never met my grandbaby at this time but Mm. as far as uh just to get on topic uh the woman you know she committed a crime uh you know the daughter is old enough now to acknowledge that she committed a crime there's nothing that's going to be done to take that back or you know she can't give back the 18 years that she stole from the parents away. But, you know, in this country, you do you do the crime. You've got time to do. 
Um, I don't think there's anything that, you know, prohibits the, the uh, I forgot the, the mother, the kidnapper's name, Gloria Williams, if I'm not, not mistaken. Mm-hmm. There's right. nothing mm-hmm. medically wrong with her or anything. It's just, you know, you know the, the daughter, Miss Mobley, can send out all the pleas that she wants, that, you know, and that's, that's commendable and that, you know, she can forgive and, and just still looks at her as mom, per se. But, you know, in this country, she's got to do the time. It's that's as right. simple as that. Right. You know, uh, this, I, I agree this. with Micah. Go ahead. I'm right. sorry. No, go ahead, Marcus. I know. Hey, I agree with Micah in that, you know, if, you know, if she gets out for, you know, good behavior or whatever the case may be, even though he doesn't agree with that topic, I understand that. But that's that's understandable. If they decide, you know, three or four years from now, they want to let her go because of good behavior or whatever the case may be. If she gets out, you know, for that reason, then I'm OK with that. But other than that, she, you still took several years that, you know, you can't you know, you can't give all the, you know, growth spurts, all the, you know, first words and all, you know, she took all of that away from her biological parents. And, you know, so for that reason, she needs to stay, stay put. Yeah. Real quick, Jacqueline Robinson says uh, there should be no reduction in this baby thief sentence. He stole the years of the birth parents who could, sp- who could spend their, who could spend with their child who missed every milestone. Lizzie? Yeah. Or not even just in addition to missing every milestone. This is one of the things that's made me sad about the story um, as it has unfolded over the years. There has been a very little consideration from the public for the birth mother and what she went through. One, she was a teenager when she had, you know, Kamaya, right? Mm -hmm. Um, She was 14, maybe about to turn 15 years old, um, lost her baby eight hours later, baby stolen for her. And then for the next 18, 19 years, lived every day of her life wondering what happened. Where is my child? Is my child alive? Is my child dead? Is she being taken care of? Has she suffered? Did I do something wrong? Am I being punished? Is this a punishment towards me? That is horrible. It is a horrible experience. And, you know, as much as folks want to talk about how, you know, Kamaya was a victim, the birth parents were victims too. And for a lot longer, And I don't think we should get into this, you know, habit of one, Wayne, who was more of a victim, but also get into a habit of, well, you know, a child needs their parent. Listen, there are plenty of people in jail, plenty of criminals who have children at home, and they too need to do their time. I do, you know, hope that, you know, Kamaya can come to a place of some type of peace with everyone involved, but also understand that. Your, your kidnapper, the woman who raised you, deserves every bit of that time. Yeah. Every bit of it. And even worse, she's an adult now, so she's not entitled to that time. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. not like she can, she can say, hey, I want you to come live with me and be a part of my life now, or I can start raising you and, and teach you some things. No, the child is an adult. The child can do whatever she wants. It's, she has to earn that, that time back with her child. It's, it's, it's sad. Um, but no winners in this equation. No. None. 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 Real quick, Latoya Blakely says, uh, pisses me off. Who the hell was she to take that experience away from that girl's actual parent? I could I couldn't imagine that anguish. SMH What we haven't talked about here is why she took the baby. Trying to impress a man. Is that what it was? Trying to impress that's what it was. She has older children. First and foremost, she has older children that she lost custody of before she took Kamaya. Got in a relationship with a man, trying to impress the man and, you know, say, oh, this is our child. I was pregnant. 
this is our child. Mm. That's how this, and that, that story. She might need some more common, time. <laughs> as common as the sun might not have been enough. It, it's, uh, it's, it's sad, but it happens a lot. <laughs> it happens a lot. It's, yeah. it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. Yeah. So Lizzie said, uh, are you serious, Lizzie? What in the tire hell? Yeah, um, I couldn't believe it when uh, I couldn't believe it when when they told me that at the hospital, and they said it happens more than you would would imagine. And they have like they have like locked doors, and there are you know you need certain uh, passes to enter certain areas. Like they they keep everything locked off, like in a like in a bank or something like that. And That's the way it should because be. I'm down with that. Right, right. Like I couldn't believe it. So is this truth, lies, shenanigans. or shenanigans? I don't even know what to call this. I, guess I know this is like like none of these really. Funny. Not like, I'm going but not like funny yeah. shenanigans. <laughs> not like funny shenanigans. We might need to change you the know? name of our show. Yeah. Add some. Add another word in it. <laughs> truth, lies, and bullshit. I keep telling you, truth, lies, and bullshit. <laughs> all right, Latoya Blakely says all shenanigans. All right, all right. So this is our last topic of the day. Let's. Turn it over to Micropayon. <laughs> so uh, the question <laughs> the question I pose to the panel, is this allyship or is this exploitation? So a new opera about Emmett Till is uh, actually it has been released, but a petition was created that reached 12,000 signatures as of right now to have it uh, taken away. It is a, an opera written by a white woman based off of her play, uh, Emmett Till, Down in My Heart. The opera is written by a white woman and composed, the music is composed by a black woman, her friend, uh, who were about 15 and 20 when Emmett Till uh, was murdered. The critics of the opera uh, are saying that they take issue with it because the opera allegedly centers around a fictional white woman who saw the lynching and did not speak up. The main crux of the argument is that Claire Cross, the writer of the play and opera, has creatively centered her white guilt using this play to make the racially motivated, brutal torture of a 14-year-old child about her white self and her white feelings. Uh, She is essentially... uh, telling the story from the perspective of a fictional, aggressive white woman. And it is more concerned with showing audiences that not all white people are bad. And she is not actually insisting upon the fight of racial justice. So is this allyship? Is this exploitation? And are white creators, quote unquote, allowed to tell black stories, particularly ones involving black trauma? Uh, Real quick. Let's go with... A little more information. So the main character that you were talking about, the white woman, uh, that was in her play. But the actual main character in the opera is not the white teacher. In fact, it's Manny Till, Emmett's mother. Okay. So just but, to let you know. But but the white woman appears in Yeah, but the that's opera, not the right? main character. The authors also responded by saying, yes, the opera has a fictional white character, but it isn't about her. It's a true story that happened in our American history. That could be told by anyone. And she's saying that this character is here because predominantly the opera audience is predominantly uh, a white going audience. And that character is there to 
help the white audience understand that, like, basically see something, say something. And they quote uh, Martin Luther King by saying, you know, an injustice everywhere, an injustice somewhere is an injustice everywhere, and you have to speak up in order to, in order for these things. If you, those who don't speak up, you're a part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I will throw it to Marcus first, Neo second, and Liz third. <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you say, Marcus? I just got all angry again now. Uh, <laughs> um, as I mentioned to Liz yesterday, my mother uh, is a, was a principal in Chicago. She's now superintendent of the school district in uh, Michigan City, Indiana. But her school that she used to be the principal at was a recent. The name of the school was James McCosh. They recently changed the name to Emmett Till Elementary School. Nice. Um, that's the irony in all this. Um, you know, I think this is shenanigans uh, because, you know, and I think the article spoke to some of the criticism that, you know, this is being used for white entertainment. You know, it's that's the part that's disturbing about it. Why not just tell the story? You know, I mean, you know, I think, you know, people are focusing a little bit too much on the fact that the author is white. But if if the author is white and she's doing this for her own white audience, trying to tell the story from a white perspective that's the bs part uh, because you know the story is what it is we all know what happened and Mattel was lynched unnecessarily because he whistled at a white girl uh and i and and i'm sorry if i'm sounding a little bit pissed off because don't be pissed I am, off you know, now but you know i i think to sit here and try to characterize a play or opera in language that white folks understand they just need to understand that back then in the day, and we all know that all white people aren't bad. I have a lot of uh, great white friends that, you know, and all, all over the country. And that, that's not what the issue is, is that you're trying to take something that is very a serious situation. You know, you want to tell the story. You've got to dramatize it. So don't try to change it into or spin it in a way that can be explained to white folks, because, you know, you can explain it to me. In, in plain language. All you need to do is explain it, a story in plain language for to help them understand where we are. You're not going to erase what happened, you know, what the, and how that fits in with every other story of how, you know, African-Americans have struggled throughout the course of the history of time. Just tell the story. Stop mm-hmm. making except because you're trying to make make white folks understand. If they don't understand how you tell the story. So be it. I mean, then they just don't they don't want to understand the story. You know, that's that's the part that don't don't feel like, you you know, you're not going to make adaptation to us, you know, when you're trying to, to talk about a story that, you know, was influential as far as a, a white person in, in history. So why why feel like you don't need to change the story or, or change the connotation just to make them understand better? That's crap. Yeah. I, I probably could have said more choice words, but, you know. All right. <laughs> so. All right. So. My my views are a little bit different. So when I first saw the headline, I was like, damn, you know, what are these Trumpers complaining about again? I figured, you know, I figured it was Trumpers complaining about, you know, something. You know how they are with, with how they're doing with critical race theory. So I figured that's what they were complaining about. But then I read it, I was like shaking my head. Because for me, it, it was felt like the proverbial crabs in a barrel. Because I tend to agree with the opera's creator, and she's a black woman. So Mary D. Watkins, right? So she says. It's a very dis- it's very disturbing that people are condemning this piece without having seen or heard it. I know it's been released since, but they jumped on the fact that the playwright is white 
and assumed all kinds of things about the content of the play, even though there are many artists of color involved in this project. The critics are assuming we have had no impact on the final shape of the piece and that the playwright was somehow forced all of us to tell her story. Uh, it's an insult to me as a Black woman and to the company members who are African-American. So, I mean, I would rather the story be told than not be told, as long as it's not inaccurate or lies. Um, but I can, you know, I can go see it for myself and then make judgment. If it's full of lies and accuracies, then I point my, my fingers at the white writer, probably. But <laughs> otherwise, you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, we, shoot, Black Panther, for example, I mean, was a mostly Black cast, right? But I guarantee they had some white people working on it. Um, I, I know the executive producers. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying, I don't know that we can say at this point that she's not telling the story right. You know, we're just going off of what people think based upon the play she previously wrote. Um, but I'll turn it over to Liz. What do you think? I absolutely can say that she's not telling the story right. I can say to the Black people that are in this story who are responsible for producing this story and bringing it to the opera with this added character. Yes, I can say that you're wrong. And just because you're Black doesn't mean that I have to agree with how you present a story to me. My issue with adding a Black character and the original author of the play said this as the reason why, I'm sorry, white character, as the reason why she was adding this character was because she was trying to placate white folks. Okay, you can do that, but don't use Emmett Till, who has been lynched, who has been beaten, stomped upon, gravesite turned over a thousand times. Don't use Emmett Till to try to white explain slavery, lynching to us. Yeah, I don't, but I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think she no, was no, 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 saying that, that she was placating that, white people. She was trying to help them see it from a white point of perspective. Why do they need to see it from a white point of perspective? It is they, like, I, like they, don't, said, they it, may not get it. It is what it is. Who gives a fuck Absolutely. if they get it? it the story it is what it is. I, I need it to be able to see to be, just because I, it I, I need to see it. Can you let me finish? Can you let me finish? The story is what it is. And when did this happen? This didn't happen yet last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. If you want to if you want to make white people understand, why not talk to the woman who's still living, who told this lie in the first place? One of your own. Understand her perspective and why she did it. Don't add someone in there talking about how they feel guilty because they didn't say anything. I'll admit, I don't like They're the added white character. I don't like that. And that's the whole point. That's why critics are upset. There doesn't need to be any additions to this play to make white folks feel comfortable. Nobody should feel comfortable about this, okay? And so that's why I have a problem with it. I don't care about white folks' guilt. I don't care about how, you know, I feel bad because I didn't do anything. Whatever, that's on you. I don't need a play that adds a character to make me see how you may have felt bad in the situation. Absolutely, especially not Emmett Till. It's offensive to our community, but it's certainly offensive to his family. So no, no, I'm not down for this at all. Not so according to, uh, according to NPR, NPR reached out to uh, Emmett Till's family and they uh, had no comment on this mm. uh, matter. Interesting. Um, look, I don't have a problem with white people telling black stories, but I feel like you got to pick and choose them. 
This is a very, very sensitive subject. If you are going to tell the story of Emmett Till, tell the story of Emmett Till. If you, Don't be if you can't understand it, if you can't relate, you are the problem. Um, you, I, I don't, I, right, right. The people that don't understand it. Like, if you can't relate to a, a child being murdered by a, by a bunch of adults uh, in, in one of the worst ways possible, you're the problem. Um, it, I, I shouldn't need a, I shouldn't need a, a, a I don't need a, a, a black cipher to understand the plight, some of the plights that gay people go through just because I'm not gay, right? Like, I don't need, I don't need that one-to-one -one because I, I understand humans, right? Like this, this, the, the invention of, of this school teacher who doesn't do something, who, who sees something and doesn't say something. That is the worst part of it. You can tell us, man, you can tell the story of Emmett Till. Just tell the story of Emmett Till. I guarantee you, it's pretty goddamn captivating in and of itself. It is. I, I don't necessarily need, uh, you know. Well, I was, I didn't relate to this, but boy, I saw this Ro Roan Taylor character, and now it clicks. No, man, like that doesn't that doesn't jive with me. It doesn't. Well, I'll doesn't take you one sense. further. I'll take you one further, Michael. You know, his mother made it a point at his funeral to have an open right. casket so everyone could see. <laughs> What was done to her child? If white folks or people who, you know, may have been like, eh, I don't really get, if they didn't get it after that, after seeing those pictures, there's no hope. There's no hope. Right. Period. Period. You are, you are, you are preaching to, you are, this is the definition of preaching to a choir. I need to, I gotta be honest, I need I to see it. I need look, to see I, look, I, to, to your point, right? To your point, all of this is alleged. None of us have seen this play. But I'm just going, I'm just, I'm making, I'm making broad assumptions based on the, the, the couple of articles that I have. But I, I don't know how, I, I don't know how, how much this made up character has in the story. But um, I don't know. Man, I Apparently like in the opera, it's a, it has a lesser, a lesser view in the story than it did in the play. I guess the play was different. Uh, so it was written differently. And it may have been because of. Uh, the collaboration because between Watkins and the other black people on the cast and crew. So right. um, I'm just saying we can't, it's hard to be like, well, you know, a white person should not be telling the story. I can't agree with that. No, but and I, I never, can, I don't think any of us said that. I don't think any of us said that. I, said but I mean, that's what a lot of the critics people. are saying. Yeah. I don't, because listen, listen, Steven Spielberg told the color purple in an excellent fashion. Okay. Excellently. So white people can tell story. You just tell it accurately. But the majority of the critics, anything. the majority of the critics are pointing out that a white woman should not be telling the story. There are some more people who go detailed and say, in addition to that, the reason a white person shouldn't be doing it is because, you know, she added this character to placate and all this other thing. But I I'm think just that's saying where that comes from. And I think that's the problem. The only problem where, though. where it comes from is that. A black person would not have felt the need to add a white. Mm -hmm. so I, mean, I, I don't know. They I mean, think there are a lot of should... there's a lot of docudramas that uh, elevate certain stories beyond the actual story and, and add really? characters. Really? There's characters no, no. that are added in in a lot of docudramas that are beyond the uh, that are fictional you characters. Like it's not unusual. Like you're talking to folks who haven't watched movies or been to the theater. Of course, we I'm just know. saying it's not unusual. So, I mean, we're just it's focused on the fact that if a white woman 
telling the added story. Added a character that put, who added a character talking about white guilt. Why would a black person do that? I don't know that that's what her intent was. We're not clear on her intent there. She said, the original say, author of the play, she did say that. I mean, what, what not was her exact words, word? but that's what she said. That's, that's what yeah, she said. I think we're interpreting her words maybe a little bit. In, all right, let's get to these comments online because we're out of time. Because uh, there are a lot of comments on time. This is a great topic. Bringing Jacqueline Robinson's comments. Okay, I go ahead. You read it. You read it. You, you got it up. Read it. There's a lot of comments. I need to get you on that one. Oh, yeah, I was going to read that one. Neo, Black Panther, talk about apples and oranges to the Black playwright. Uh, isn't it strange how you feel you have to bend over backwards to make white folks feel better about themselves? Girl, take all the seats. Blair uh, Blakely, period. Who cares if it's not palatable? Is it supposed to make them feel better? What about Emmett's family? Do they get to feel better? The black people in the, in the community who saw the miscarriage of justice and had to live these celebrated murders all their lives. If we in, in 2022 are still pissed about what happened to that child, and I am, then I'm sorry, but I have zero fucks to give about a white person, how a white person feels about it. Um, Mike Wolf, I think I'm going to shelve the screenplay I was working on about my days working at Sports Illustrated, <laughs> told through the eyes of a young editor. <laughs> uh, Mike Winter says, Neo, she said why she added the character. All right. So, okay. Great, great comments. Is this truth lies or shenanigans? Lies, shenanigans. I mean, I feel like this is the definition of shenanigans, right? Like all around, depending on how you want to, depending on how you want to define shenanigans. But I feel like, I feel like there's some shenanigans going on. I'm going with shenanigans as well. Shenanigans all day. You know, I always got to think. <laughs> it's a little shenanigans. I mean, I, I still, I still feel I like we should be a little more open, but at the same I mean, time, I didn't like the addition somebody, of the the white character either. We gotta have somebody, you know, writing a story about Martin Luther King's assassination and how you know there was a white man standing there and he saw the gunman, but he didn't say anything, but now he feels bad. I think it'd be a cool perspective. I don't know. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. (laughs) All right, let's get into our game show. (laughs) Lizzie's still shaking her head. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Great discussions. All right, so let's uh Let's get into our game show. Our game show today is ask. I'll simply ask some random questions provided by the app and our host will answer the question and give us any story behind their answer they have. Person with the most interesting answers, judged by me, gets the final hunt for the show. All right. So we're going to start out. Let's start out with Lizzie. Um, Lizzie, your first question is, have you ever trolled someone online? Oh, I know the answer. (laughs) What you think you know? You don't know my life. You told me. What are you talking about? <laughs> no. I told, I told the truth about you, brother. What no trolling? Um, I don't know. Like, what do we mean by troll? Trolling basically means you just go on to someone's like post and just you know just make say something just to be saying something. Basically, no. Do you? Do you are you a smart ass online? Yes. I'm a smart ass everywhere. I'm a smart ass. <laughs> there everywhere. you go. There you go. You, and you, and, you and, and if the truth needs to be if the truth needs to be revealed, then I'll reveal it. I think Lane is, you know, offering the opposite of that. Like, you know, just 
um, making fun of people for no reason or lying about people for no reason or just blowing up their spot for no reason. I don't do that. But yeah, I might expose you. Will I expose you online? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's dead. Absolutely. I've been trolled by her. All right. What annoys you the most about others, Micah? Everything. <laughs> Everything, uh, 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 everything, everything. I, 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 um, no, what annoys me the most about other people, um, in, a, in an online sense or just in general? Whatever. I think in general. Um, in, uh, well, online, everyone, everyone doesn't need a platform, but everybody has a platform yeah. and it's annoying. Um, and in general, I mean, most people, like, just, I, you know what I don't like? I don't like in the way people. Like if I'm walking somewhere, like if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to, if I'm moving, if I'm walking, like I got my earbuds in or something, and people are just kind of lingering, you know what I mean? Like they're looking at a fast food menu. Like I'm just like, can you move out <laughs> way, please? Like that, that annoys me. About I feel you. Anyway. Right. All right, hold on. Here we go. We got some comments online. So trolling, this is Mike Winter. Trolling equals dragging someone for filth. He says, so yes. <laughs> 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 Mike Winter says, a better question is, would anything I post online not be considered trolling? <laughs> Latoya is not giving me personal space. Why the fuck uh, do people who don't know you feel like they need to be so damn close? That's mm. what annoys her. Especially right. after this pandemic. Ooh. I agree with you. Back up. Oh, what is this? Have you ever done a ding-dong dish? Have you ever rang a bell and then ran away? Oh, okay, there you go. Have you ever done that, Marcus? Uh, no. <laughs> think back. I, I remember on Halloween, living in Chicago, you know, folks ringing my doorbell and running away, but never, I, I you know, I never did that, no. <laughs> All right, Lizzie. Professional or amateur porn? Damn, I should have answered that one. <laughs> what do you watch? Professional or amateur porn? Both. Both. Oh, both. Both. Yeah, no stories behind that, I guess. All right, we're quiet. All right, we do a pet. Go to the next. All right. Oh my God. Hold on. I'm gonna give you a different. I'm giving you a different. I'm gonna do it. All right, Michael. What's your most embarrassing date? Most embarrassing date, Michael. My most embarrassing date. Um, I don't know. I don't. I, I. I. One. I hate dating. Like I listened to you so last week, and you had a relationship expert on there, and I had so much to say. I wish I could listen to it. Um, I hate dating. Um. I, I really do, but I guess my most embarrassing one, it wasn't really embarrassing. It just, I spent, I spent way too much money. Uh, we, I went and took this, this apple headed woman out to, uh, to, to dinner and, um, Why she gotta be an apple headed? <laughs> I, I, it's the truth. It's the truth. Isn't that what you just said? Isn't that what you just said? I'm just saying. She, she, she her head looked like fruit. But, like, I'm not bitter at all. I'm not bitter at all. Not bitter at all. Um, I took her out and we had a really nice meal and and um, we we went to a, a, a comedy concert. Chris Tucker wasn't funny at all, and and um, and and it just wasn't it just wasn't a good date. Like we didn't really vibe. And she, she, yeah, it just wasn't just wasn't, wasn't a good date. All right, Marcus, you're planning a romantic mm-hmm. evening, a dinner at home. What will you do? What's your romantic evening? <laughs> so I got to tell the story of my college days, oh. Valentine's Day. A buddy of mine had uh, decided to cook dinner at my house. I had a two-bedroom, a 
apartment to myself. We had a jacuzzi in the back. I don't ask why I was living that lavishly in college, <laughs> but I was. Uh, I was. So, anyway, uh, we invited these two girls over. We told them we were taking them out to dinner. And uh, my buddy was, you know, he was kind of a, you know, always putting on lotion and all. You know, he was kind of slow. So I went to go pick them up and I told them we had to go back to my house to get him because he wasn't ready. So they were, you know, pissed off, you know, all angry. And we left the door unlocked. So one of the girls walked through the door, walked in the room. We had candles on the table, candle on the floor. I had cooked uh, pot roast, my savory green beans. Uh, we had uh, fresh dinner rolls. You know, we we had it decked out. You know, we we you know we had ate dinner. You know, had music playing, so we danced. And then uh, we separated a little bit. One or two of us went. Uh, me and one lady went to the back room. We didn't do anything. And him and another young lady sat in front. I'm not gonna say any names because of the part I'm about to tell. So uh, immediately, maybe about an hour after taking a nap. I hear, you know, the, the the young lady I was with, she went to the bathroom and closed the door. Next thing I hear, oh, shit, Asia, your hair's on fire. So And the young lady leaned back into the uh, candle and her hair caught on fire. Oh, uh, so damn. I see running back <laughs> to the bathroom, hollering, no shirt on, and just uh, opens the door. And the, the the friend that was in the bathroom, all I heard coming out was "God damn!" You know, <laughs> sorry, I don't. Know that's fine. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't believe him when he came back. He said, "Man, my hair just caught on fire," and I, I I thought he was just joking. I didn't know why he did that. But then I walked to the front room, and lo and behold, the, the it smelled like burnt candle wax because from her hair, because you know back then she was wearing a Jerry curl. And things of that nature. Man, you telling your age, boy. <laughs> that was, but that was in nineteen ninety eight. I was a senior at University. Of Did Illinois. a Jerry curl in nineteen ninety eight? Yeah, she had a she had a curl. Not she had a curl. Wow. Some kind of curl. Like, curl. All right. I don't know if it was or not, but but anyway, if I'm planning a romantic evening in dinner home, I mean, obviously, I'm going to deck it out, put candles. All over the place, have music playing on, you know, my sound bar. Uh, and then, you know, I, I like I said, my specialty to still to this day is pot rolls. I won't say what my pot rolls does to women, but uh, it, <laughs> it has been very effective for me. Over the years. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm having too much fun with this, uh, with these questions. So I think we might just, we might miss the after show this time because we're already running over. So I just want to get some of these comments. So Latoya Blakely, OMG, I, we used, we called it Nick Knock. <laughs> and from 12 to 15 year old, all we did is uh, we did it in my grandmother's neighborhood, I guess, knocking on doors and running off. Oh. All right. <laughs> they like la everybody's laughing at Applehead comment. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Jacqueline Robinson. Most embarrassing date was the dude who said we were going to dinner. I got dressed up only for this clown to pull up to the 7-Eleven to buy a couple of hot dogs. Luckily, I I drove my own car and left him there. <laughs> uh, Latoya Blakely's telling hers. Mine was with the dude. Say it again. You didn't know that one? No, I was saying, no, I said I know who that. She's driving, so I know who that was. Okay. All right. So Latoya Blakely, mine was with a dude who I went to bus boys with, who over the whole hour we were sitting there was incapable of carrying on a conversation. And then when I asked for separate checks, this fool says, I thought you were taking care of it. Oh, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> I paid the bill and blocked his number while I was sitting there waiting to sign the check. He said, call me when you get home. I said, sure. Drove home. Never I talked to him again. Woo. Not a Jerry I'm Curl in 1998. I've got a good embarrassing date one for you. Great. What you got? Uh, uh, years ago when I was living in Atlanta, I took a young lady out on a date. A girl I was dating at the time. We went to dinner and had uh, I had John Legend tickets at the Fox Theater. Uh, I had bought them off somebody on uh, Craigslist. So we get up to the theater, the Fox Theater after dinner. She's got on heels, mind you. We get up, scan the tickets. Tickets were were bogus. So I had to instead oh, buy yeah. any room only. So we stood in the back row of the Fox Theater, and she had to stay in heels. Yeah. And she had to oh. Yeah. She had to That's stand embarrassing. With you know, John Legend. So that, by, to this day, is the most embarrassing. That's why I will never buy Tickets off anything that's not I want. I don't do it either. Mm-hmm. Or like that. I stopped doing that too. Wow. All right, Lizzie. One more round. We're gonna do one more round. So, Lizzie, what's the name of your sex tape? I don't do. That. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna skip this one. All right. All right. What would you say to your pet if it could speak? Pippity pat 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 pat. Because that's all he does all day. Pippity pat. We'll slap you in the head. Pippity pat. Pippity pat. Pippity pat. All right, Micah. What is the best plan for a Friday night? Oh man, now uh getting <laughs> Maxwell in bed by eight o'clock. <laughs> to get the baby in bed by eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all, all I right. can hope for. All right. all right, last question. Last question. Oh, this is good. So Marcus, what's your best childhood memory? Best childhood memory. Wow. So um, we can just ask everyone this. Well, everybody to answer oh, this one. I, I can we'll tell close you. it out with you. Uh, I am a diehard Bears fan, and I started watching football in 1985 when I was eight years old, the year the Bears won the Super Bowl. That following training camp in uh, August, I believe, my mother took me to a preseason game with the Bears against the Bills, and we ended up staying at the same hotel that the Bears were staying at. So I was able to get all the autographs of all the players, coaches, all the, I mean, that was that was obviously uh. nine years old by then, and then that was that's the thing I remember to this day. I still have the little Holiday Inn notepad that I got everybody. See, I mean, I'm talking about the Fridge, <clears throat> Jim McMahon, Otis Wilson, Dan Hampton, uh, uh, Wilbur Marshall, Richard Dent. Uh, I think one of the coaches, the special team coach at the time, tried to hit on my mother uh, uh, as well. So, I mean, that, <laughs> But I remember her telling me that part. But yeah, we that was far and away my best childhood memory uh, when I, we went to Notre Dame to see that and, and have that experience. All right, Lizzie, Mike, we'll start with Mike. Best childhood memory? Um, something that I, I want to do with, uh, with my kids, um, it's nothing special, right? Is I just remember I was five years old. The first time I left uh, Maryland was when my dad took me to uh, Disney World. Uh, I was five. It was just me and him. And, um, you know, because I've never been like super close to my father. Like he's because like he not because he was a bad dude or anything, but just because he's all he was constantly working, constantly working. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, th- spending that time, uh, I still remember I was really young. I still remember going to Disney, uh, just me and him. I would love to do that with my boy. So. Love it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's childhood memory. 
I mean, I mean, I don't think, you know, there is a best, you know, there are multiple good childhood memories, but Me one that sticks out, you know, of course it's going to be with my dad. Um, my dad's birthday, as I've mentioned a thousand times, is on Halloween. And um, so my brothers used to go trick-or-treating on Halloween, change costumes, and then go back out trick-or-treating. Um, so we always had an abundance of candy. But then one year, you know, and this set the precedent, they went trick-or-treating. I was still too young. They came back from their last round, and then we had a huge party. Uh-huh. And my dad, who, you know, was very laid back, didn't like a lot of fuss. Um, I think he was really taken aback by it. Because, you know, Halloween was for the kids. Yeah. And then here we come with this big old party, and we had a great time. We had a great time. I think I was maybe like six when that happened. So that was one of my great memories in our house. Nobody was fighting. Everybody was getting along. It was a good time. It was a good time. Oh, Jacqueline Robinson said, tell them about that Christmas, uh, that bike you got for Christmas. <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of good stuff for Christmas. <laughs> got a lot of good stuff for Christmas. I mean, you could talk about the Christmas where, you know, I thought I wasn't going to get anything because I have a mouth. And I told my parents that I found my gifts underneath the basement steps. And both of them looked at me like, they not your gifts no more. So I'm, you know, <laughs> upset, crying, think I'm not going to get anything for Christmas. But all of the gifts were under the tree. All right. Well, Latoya Blakely shared hers and she wrote a long one. So I'm going to go ahead and share it. I mean, might as well. She says, wow, there's so many. One of the ones that makes me laugh to this day is when my grandmother took my cousins and I to Sandy Point Beach. We were seven, six, five, three, and two. She pulled up to the beach and saw the admission sign that said senior citizens and handicapped were free. So without hesitation, she looked at the five of us and said, quick, act retarded. So naturally, the car full of children laughed at what was, of course, a joke until she pulled up to the window and said, one senior citizen and five handicapped children, please. So, so we're laughing even harder because she wasn't kidding. And what was worse, what was worse was that the lady believed it. She told my grandma to have a great day. Car full of kids laughing so hard that they were crying at a free day at the beach. <laughs> so my favorite, my best childhood memory is actually, like you say, Liz, there's a lot, but uh, it's actually a Christmas memory, like uh, like your bike. But I was, um, let's see, I, I, you know, we had a lot. It was like a really good year. I think my parents got a bonus or something. We had a ton of stuff under the tree, which was kind of rare for us. And um, I got a guitar. And I just remember that being one of the happiest, like, moments of my life. I was just, like, so ready to play the guitar. I still sort of remember how to play it because they gave me lessons and stuff, too. But I just remember the guitar from my best, best childhood all right well that was a fun game show like i said uh we won't be having an after show because we went a little long here but uh, it was fun all right let's close it out with some shout outs guys all right lizzie starting with you some shout outs to my um, high school alma mater, Woodrow Wilson, finally got the nerve to change the racist name. So oh, we are now Jackson. Oh, yeah. It's official as of this past Tuesday. So wow. we are now Jackson Reed High School. So Jackson, Jackson Reed? Reed, Reed? Jackson Reed. Okay. Um, Reed stands for Vincent Reed. He was the first black principal in D.C. public schools, right? Um, or it, well, at least Wilson's first black principal. But he was also a DC public school superintendent, 
and then Edna Jackson, who was the first black teacher at Woodrow Wilson High School. So Jackson Reed High School. Very proud. Oh. Very proud. Also, I had no idea. All right. Micah. Uh, shout out to my wife. We um, we both like movies. And the day that we are recording this is uh, Oscars, uh, the Academy Awards. And uh, we like to just kind of sit there and, and be catty and, and laugh at what people are wearing. And uh, we'll be rooting for Will Smith to finally get his Best Actor Oscar so he can start doing fun movies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I, I didn't really buy his performance, but okay, we, that's another story. All right. <laughs> Marcus. <laughs> Marcus, shout outs. All right, I'm going to do half and half. Shout out to my, uh, you guys want to check out my book. It's on Amazon. It's called uh, I Ain't Done Living Yet. Uh, it's, on Am- it's on Amazon, or you can go to my firm's website, MarcusEasonLaw.com, which is uh, www.marqueasonlaw.com. If you scroll down on the first page, you can see the links to the book there. Also want to shout out to my daughter, who uh, Amber in Atlanta. Uh, her stage name is Savi Duvine. You can find her music on iTunes and all digital platforms, Amazon, Google, Spotify, uh, things of that nature. And her website is www.savviduvine, which is spelled S-A-U-V-I-D-U-V-I-N.com. Uh, she's amazing. I love her to death. I'm so happy to be able to spend the time that I am to spend with her, especially having a second chance at life. You know, uh, you know, I try to maximize as much time as possible, given that, you know, we live in two different states, even though there's a possibility I could end up back in Atlanta soon. But I love you, my baby girl. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to her. I oh, love that. Love that. By the way, you can get the link to Marcus's book. Uh, I ain't done living yet. And that is actually in the description on all of our platforms. So go ahead and download that book right now. It's right there available for you. But my shout out goes to Pie Cycling and Fitness. We had an open house this weekend, free classes, great vendors, lots of fun, pretty well attended. Um, so if you're in the DC area looking for a fun place to work out, visit posh.fit. And our last shout out goes to Alicia Vasquez and her beautiful white kitty Jasper. To see Jasper and all of the pets join the TLS Pet Shenanigans Facebook group, mypetshenanigans.com. And you can share your pets as well. Beautiful white cat. All right. That is officially all of the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you guys for joining us. We hope that you maybe learned something, gained a new perspective, even got some things off your chest. Next week, we will not be live, uh, but we'll replay some of our favorite moments that you may have missed. Some things from our after shows as well. And don't forget, subscribe to Beyond the Scars podcast at beyondthescars.show we will be back the following week that is the 10th thank you we'll be back the 10th all right looks like our winner for the final thought of the show best answers from the ask (laughs) marcus eason marcus <laughs> Marcus Issa, <laughs> close us out. Close us out. Give us something good. So, uh, what I would like, what I would, what I use a lot for motivation, believe it or not, however you like them or not, Steve Harvey. Uh, I used to live in LA, and he used to give uh, motivational speech, 
uh, a moment through his uh, beginning of the show and the exit part of the show. The only thing that I would say is motivational. Uh, enjoy life. Uh, life isn't promised to all of us. I was blessed to have a second chance in life and do a lot of amazing things. You get one. You know, you might as well do everything that you want to accomplish during that time period because once we're gone, we're gone. You know, you can't take money with you. You can't take, uh, you know, uh, uh, material things with you. All you can leave on this earth is memories and experiences with those you love. Uh, and, you know, that's the important thing when you look at your tombstone and you have the, the born date versus your death date. That dash is the most important thing on there. And, you know, you want to live your life and make that dash meaningful so that you leave a legacy both that, that both for everybody that loves you and, and everybody that you love as well and, they, and have a, a lasting memory here. So uh, hopefully that answered the question, the answer. Uh, I didn't do any blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like <laughs> No, thank you so much, Marcus, for that. Thank you, Marcus. Thank That's you. A, thank great you. final thought. All right, and thank you, Lizzie, Micah, Marcus. Thank you for joining us. But most importantly, we've got to thank you for watching and listening to our shenanigans each and every week. And we will see you next time. All right.